All right. Good? Right. Hold on one second. Actually, I want to try something. I'm sitting in bed. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I'm on the floor. Uh, hold on. Unemployed and out of shape. Oh, this is a trifecta. Oh, a... That's only two things. Nah, I was coming up with a third. Oh, fuck. Shit. Nailed it. Okay. I'm good. I just I had the microphone sitting on a pillow. It didn't work. Then I fell off the bed. Welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, episode 82. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today is my one and only co-host, a man without a country, it's Dan. A man without a job as well. Hello. Oh, that's your trifecta. (laughs) Yes, I've lost my country as well. I mean, you're here for another couple days, right? Yes, thanks to Winmageddon. Is that I didn't realize this is a thing. So here in Maryland, apparently, we close schools for wind now. Yeah, wouldn't Dad would have told us like back in the, I, I used to walk back and forth in the wind to school barefoot up a hill in the snow every day. Both ways. Both ways. Yeah. And today it's like, oh no, there's some precipitation. Closed. It wasn't even raining today. It literally was windy. It was very strange. I texted mom just to see how she was doing, and she said, "This is ridiculous. I can't believe they didn't close." for teachers too i was like you have to drive three minutes down the road well yeah for her but i mean the wind is still pretty crazy because i've been following i was supposed to fly today and i saw i was keeping close track of airports and like they're like interviewing passengers that literally were puking on the plane and there was even one write-up from a pilot in their like kind of post-flight write-up that said everybody on the plane was puking and we almost did as well. <laughs> so I was like, because uh, my flight technically took off, but I was offered a free change. And I said, you know, I'd rather play it safe and not puke and just enjoy my flight. So I'm going out in two days. I mean, the price you paid for your flight was probably a little sketchy to begin with. So you probably want perfect weather conditions if you're getting to Europe for like $100. I mean, yeah, so I'm going wow air, but... 
if, if you look at it, their their fleet of planes is actually less than two years old. Like these mm. are all like brand new Airbuses. Like, do the, they charge the you price. an extra fee for stability or throw up bags or something? Nah, probably not. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I have a row one seat, so I'm just gonna puke on a flight attendant. There you go. You're in charge of opening the door. I am, and that's a scary prospect. Yeah. That was a good idea ass, to switch. My ass is jumping out as soon as the door's I was open. Say, well, at least I guess you'll fulfill your duties before you abandon ship. Yeah, they they just said open the door. They don't they don't say wait for everyone else to get That's off. That's true. So no, I was just surprised. Kel said the government closed today. Yeah, DC closed as well. So it's pretty crazy. What I don't get is that if people who work in government who basically sit at a desk all day, if they are, if it's unsafe safe for them to drive, why did I have to go to work today? Why did I have to drive up 95 in my car if other desk job people did not? I mean, what's even funnier is, like, the people in Washington, you know, was it just a few months ago when the Caribbean was being hit with 170 mile per hour winds, and we only were getting 50 today, and they're like, we need to close. Yeah. So. Somebody send us some aid in D.C. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, All right. I digress. We move on. So, we are here. It's you and I, Dan. Uh, we got this opportunity because of your delay. So, I guess thank you, Wind. Uh, the, the podcast listeners should thank the Wind that you've been grounded for another day or two. And that gives us a chance to talk about some games and things we've been playing. And unfortunately, Tiff has been bogged down with concert season. I feel like every season is concert season with Tiff. I never can quite keep straight when concerts are and are not occurring. Except the summer. Um, I mean, from my from my experience in orchestra uh, back in the day, we usually had at least two, maybe three concerts every year. So I guess you're always practicing for the next concert. Yeah, you kind of, it's kind of like broken up. Like you, you know, you kind of break. We used to break it out by like semester kind of thing. Like before winter break, you're practicing. You know, your winter songs, and then you've got like your spring concert, yeah. um, which is I guess right about now. And then maybe there's like an end of year one. Yeah, it sounds reasonable. So, either way, Tiff is a very important person when it comes to uh, children's musical performances. So, she has been a bit bogged down with that. So, she won't be joining us today, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. We've got plenty to talk about. More than enough to fill a show with, uh, because we just had ourselves an exciting little getaway. This was, what, now two weeks ago, I suppose, but we had a, a little cabin con little nonsensicon 2018 where we had some people together in the murder cabin uh out in frederick maryland and hmm. uh survived three and a half four days of solid gaming i liked that place actually did you i did because you don't you don't find a lot of places that can sleep as many people as we did and sleep them comfortably i mean they had queen size bunk beds um and, you know, they had, or full, I guess they were full size bunk beds, not queen, but, um, and then they had, they had like six or seven of those. They had two single beds. They had a master, like you could have slept comfortably like 15 or 16 people in that place. Probably. Yeah. It had that, plenty of space. Yeah. Which is, Three which is nice. Cause then nobody's, you know, fighting over beds and no one's on the floor and it, you know, things like that are hard to, to come by sometimes, you know, cause when you go to like real cons, like, you know, Origins of Gen Con, I'm usually on the floor. Um, well, yeah, after, it's not the most comfortable thing. And After the PAX debacle, like, just trying to cram so many people into that room and not having space, like, the one thing, the two things that I set out for 
were to have like as many decisions up front made in terms of food and games and things like that and then also to have space and bathrooms like places for everyone to sleep in a bed and bathrooms where you 10 12 people were not sharing the same single bathroom those are yeah. my two things <laughs> yeah and, I and think we had we three three bathrooms um and like you said the good thing with like these things is you're not at a con like environment so you can actually make some somewhat healthier choices from a food uh perspective and then you know there was the the bathroom in the basement where you know if people needed to go to the bathroom in the basement they went to the bathroom in the basement is that what people were doing down there (laughs) it didn't harm anyone on the first two floors which was great you know what i mean like it was that was that was perfect um it's better than like seven dudes sharing a hotel room yeah Um, it was a it was a little murdery though I guess there were farm tools hanging on the wall. There was a hornet's nest suspended over the the main area. Oh, it was about as cliche cabin as you can there get. There was a workshop well, it's downstairs. Like when you go to like, it's like when you go to those beach houses, and it's like prototypical cliche beach houses with like seashells and stuff. Like yeah. I think they just they went as uh, as campy as they could possibly go. Literally, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it worked out. I mean, we moved some couches, we brought some tables and set all those up. The kitchen table that they had there was a was a good space for big games. You guys played, well, we'll talk about it, but you played Antiquity and we played like Kingdom of Death Monster and Mythic Battles. Like it had space for big games and uh, we were able to split up and, and do our thing. I think we had something like 12 or 14 people overall coming and going. Ben came down, Biff came down, I'm trying to think who else kind of popped in. We got to meet Astro finally, who was someone that I just met on the internet. Unfortunately, he did not murder us, so that's good. Yeah. Yes, that is good. Yeah. Craig came down with B all the way from Ohio, and uh, we got to see Smee out in the light again. So, I think overall it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. So, I guess the more important thing is what did we play, what did we do? So... I mean, we had gameplays outside of that, so let's just jump into some of the things that we want to talk about. So you have a a more uh, curated list. I know you're trying to talk about specific things. So what has been on your mind in terms of sharing with the dear listeners? I mean, I, I've played one, two, three. I've played over like 22 games in the last month. That's but pretty solid. I'm not going to probably be playing that many in the next couple months so i'm trying to like pace myself so that i have some things to talk about on these episodes (laughs) um so while i have played some current stuff i might wait a little bit on that but i don't i don't know like where do you want to start things i like things i didn't like i don't know i have a whole mix of good versus crap one thing on my mind Um, just with you saying that is is since you are you know, in case people forgot or didn't listen to the one episode where you announced it. So you're, you're headed to Copenhagen in two days. You're going there with just your wife and Tristan, your son. So no established gaming group. But just like running the Twitter and having been in Europe and so do you have any leads on like people over there or like design nights or game nights? I know there's a couple good game stores right in Copenhagen because I visited them when I was over there. Yeah. So... You should yeah, have a chance, like, once you get settled, to find some gaming, right? Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's two or three board game cafes downtown. Um, there's the one really, really good uh, board game store that's attached to the big comic book store um, that I believe probably has a board game night. 
Um, I, I believe most people will speak English, which would probably be my only kind of um, thing that would kind of hinder me from getting in games. Um, I don't think board games are published in Danish, so that's probably, um, you yeah. know, English is probably the language that they're most, from what I recall going through the game store, it's the language that was most prominent in the in the shop. So um, I'm hoping so. And yet, yeah, like you said, like just kind of announcing things on Twitter, like people have, we apparently have like listeners and followers in, in Copenhagen, so that's cool. Oh, nice. Um, so hopefully I can meet up i know the guys who designed like flam rouge 13 days um they're they're all based out of copenhagen i love those games yeah they're good games and i uh, you know i've kind of interacted and said hey i i love prototypes i'm happy to if you guys need play testers let's let's do this i would love that um not to mention i would love to get them to try my game yeah <laughs> which yeah. would be cool because they they have a very similar kind of design philosophy it seems with the the kind of the the simplistic elegance um which i like so um yeah I'm, I'm hoping it won't be too long before i get back to some regular gaming i'm bringing a couple of small two-player games to hopefully rope my wife into um but you know if not i've actually have a whole suitcase packed that's just my game design supplies so hopefully focus on that a little bit more um since i'll have the time i mean people always say I wish I just had more time to do it, and I actually finally have the chance to do it. So maybe I will take myself up on that offer. Um, and then when I come back in, you know, the summer for hopefully Origins and Gen Con, I can uh, maybe pitch some things. And who knows? We'll see. I, know, I have like the time now to like. I have the time now to run a Kickstarter. I, you know, I have time to do a lot of things. I have a, um, a small bucket list of strange things I've never really had the time to do that. Hopefully, I can. So. That's we'll kind of cool. I mean, I know I was not a big fan of being unemployed. I kind of went stir crazy after a couple of weeks, but it'll be nice. Like the position that I was in was like, I need to pay rent and things like that. Like if you guys, I mean, we're not getting into that, but you have a chance that you might be able to do some, some cool things for a little while to fill your time before you also yeah, go stir I crazy. Mean, I mean, thankfully my wife, um, at least at the outset, is able to support us. So I don't have to technically work. I'm going to do the full-time dad thing until Tristan goes to school in August. So, yeah, we'll see. At, at some point, I'll probably get some kind of job. I don't know. I mean, I would love to go work in like one of those board game shops or the board game cafe, just do something part-time. I think it'd be fun. Um, I've, I've joked with Elsa that I could go work at an airline like part-time and just get free flights around Europe so we could travel on the weekends. Like just, you know, whatever I got, I've got the time to do it. And then, you know, when we eventually come home, I've got, I've got a solid enough resume built up that I, I should be okay. Not to mention that my, my job that I just left said the doors open when I come home. So, um, that's, that's a pretty positive thing. I, I feel a little bit better knowing that you could be the European Mike Rowe. Just take dirty jobs, Dan, just go around just Europe take... nah, milk cool. some cows. Um, I'm cool being clean. That's fine. I'm kind of a suit and tie kind of guy. I'm okay. <laughs> well, you do have this wonderful resume of of 82 episodes to show any board game cafe employers. Be like, yeah, I know my stuff. Yeah, exactly. I hate it I'm, all, I'm, but I know what it is. I'm in touch. Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm not going to sell your customers crappy games, but you know, I'll, I, I have a ton of games that I like. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's let's get into it then. Let's actually, I want to start with, I don't know, give me something not not your favorite thing, not your least favorite thing, something in the middle, something you're happy to have played recently. 
I mean, I, 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 you guys joke with me about hating everything, but I'm I'm usually happy to try everything at least once, and that's kind of my new motto the last couple of years, just to kind of explore again, getting into the design stuff. I really like just being in touch with what what mechanics are out there, themes, things like that. Um, I'm trying to think, what uh, what did I play? I guess the thing I've played the most the last couple of weeks is Heaven and Ale. Um, I've played that three times now, and it's a um, it's a Michael Kiesling joint. Uh, so one of my boys who either partners with my boy Wolfgrain Krama, yeah, or, uh, yeah, no, that's the wrong Kramer. Oh, yeah, damn, that's Matthias. Okay, um, but that's cool. We can still say yeah because mm-hmm. they're all they're all Germanish. But yeah, so this is a Michael Kiesling, um, and I, apologies, I forget the the co designer. I think it's the first time he's designed with this uh, this co-designer too, and it's just slipping my mind. And the game is too far away on my shelf for me to see it. So, mm-hmm. um, just know it's Michael Kiesling, who's who's like he's like Hansel or Hansel. He's like he's so hot right now. He had Azul. He had this. Um, oh, I can't think of the other. I think he had three games come out at Essen, and they've all been like raved about. Um, and Heaven Heaven and Ale deserves it. Um, it's a it's basically a so I don't know if you've ever played, or you have, I know, but for listeners, uh, Sansuchi is one of his other games, which is one of my um, one of my favorite, most underrated games. I think people should check that one out if they haven't. That is just a slick little puzzle. Um, but this is kind of the same same thing, and this one kind of it gives me um, it gives me a vibe of um, actually speaking of the other Kramer, uh, it gives me like a Glenmore meets Castles of Burgundy vibe. Um, so the Glenmore piece of it being that you are, um, moving along a track, collecting tiles, um, in turn order, and you can move as far as you want. Um, but you know, whatever you move past, you can't go back to in that round, um, collecting those tiles and placing them and then activating those tiles. Um, so the placement and the activation is a little bit of Glenmore with a little bit of Castles of Burgundy as well. Um, and then wrapped inside of a really wonky scoring mechanism, but it makes sense when you see it. But conceptually, it's really hard to kind of wrap your brain around it the first play. Um, so just a little background on the mechanics. Again, you're, there's um, four different types of tiles in the game. You have monks, you have resources. Resources come in five different types, I believe. Um, you have what are called barrels, and then which are essentially objectives. And then you have scoring discs spots. So there's four different spots on this track. So again, you can pick any of those spots. You move along the track, whatever you collect, you place in some manner or the other. You have a player board that is kind of broken out like a Castles of Burgundy with a bunch of little hexes. Um, it has a sunny side and a shady side. When you collect a resource or a monk, you're going to place them onto your player board in either the sunny side or the shady side. The difference being... Um, at the initial placement, the cost. So if you want to place it in the shady side, you just have to place, you have just have to pay its face value cost. If you want to place it in the sun, you have to pay double its face value. So there's that nice decision point there of, do I want to put this guy in the sun versus the shade? The difference being, whenever you activate these resource tiles, the, the tiles in the shade are going to produce money. The tiles in the sun are going to produce resource points to advance your resource markers. And ultimately, you're trying to balance 
having a money engine with moving your your brewmaster and these brew resources up the tracks because those are how you're going to score points ultimately at the end of the game. And if you don't do it well enough, you're really going to fall behind. So um, again, a neat little puzzle um, to work out in that way. I won't go too much into it because uh, no one likes to listen to rules explanations through audio. But um, that's kind of that's the gist. So again, at the end of the game, what you're doing is <laughs> again the wonky scoring mechanism is. You're gonna you're gonna trade in your resources further up the track to move your furthest behind resource forward, and you're only gonna score that furthest behind resource at the end. So you're, as this little brewmaster meeple moves up the track as well, which is a separate kind of track in and of itself, um, even though it's on the same track as the the resources. How far you move your brewmaster is going to give you a specific trade-in value, like three to one, four to one, two to one, depending on how far you move it. So the further you move him, the better your trade-in value is. So that means that your resources are converting at a, a better rate so that you can move that lower resource further up the track. And then at the end, what you're going to do is you're going to look at the other piece of the brewmaster information is he gives you a multiplier. And you're going to take that multiplier, whether it's 1x, 2x, 3x, or even zero, or no, it's not zero. Zero could be the resources. And you're going to multiply it by that last resource. So it's this weird puzzle of trying to get all of your resources moving, but getting them in a position as well as your brewmaster where you can trade in the further, the ones you've kind of specialized in to get that one that you've maybe neglected a little bit more. So it's uh, it's super wonky and it's awesome because <laughs> it's... It's such a brain burn, but the, the mechanically it's so simplistic. Um, it just creates again this just elegant puzzle that's just so much fun to work out. And I, I've I've done pretty well in my first three plays, kind of looking online and seeing people's scores and what they're kind of ta- like. I'm like doubling. Like I hit my first play was in like the the high fifties, and that that seems to be a pretty good score to start with. Um, I'm sure you can go much higher, but you know I'm seeing people scoring like 20. So it's like Steve playing Great Western Trail. Um, Yikes! <laughs> Sorry, Steve. But uh, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good game. It's a it's a nice puzzle. Like I said, it gives me those those little vibes from Castles of Burgundy. The placement of the little hexes they activate off each other and certain things with the monks, etc. Um, yeah, it's good. The the really cool kind of the one cool aspect too I'll just touch on briefly is the scoring discs. So you have these you can score like each individual resource, you can score each individual monk, and then you can score like all of the numbers of the same type. And the the thing is there's only limited amount of scoring discs every time around the track. And you're only gonna play like depending on player count, uh, either three, four, or six times around the track, I believe. So it's up to you when you want to score those different types. So maybe you wait and you try and get a really big score. Maybe you use that as kind of your money engine to kind of score one of those resources and get some money um, early and then wait a little bit. Cause it's a, it's, you know, by the last couple of rounds, everyone's like scrambling to get it. So it's a, it's a really cool, I'm a big fan of games where you actually kind of choose when you score. I think that's such a, such a great decision point if done right. Um, that really triggers some internal struggle. So um, really like that about this game as well. I recently talked with Craig about kind of the games that he was into and things like that. And this was the one that he said was the best game he played for the whole weekend. Um, that it really stood out to him, that he really liked like the medium weight Euro, that the decisions felt painful, but that the game wasn't hard 
to learn, like yep. the mechanisms weren't, but that the decisions were really weighty and that he was hoping that since it kind of almost looks exactly like Castles of Burgundy on your player board, um, that he could could get his wife to play it. I know that he told Kopak, Kopak said, what was the best thing you played? He said, having a nail, Kopak bought it like on the spot and they've already played it since. So this game, it, you know, is this game kind of worth the attention it's getting? Because it seems to be one of the more notable Euro offers. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you're looking for a dry puzzle, yeah. yes. Um, not, not a whole lot of theme in this, obviously. Um, like I said, if you're a fan of like a Sansuchi or any of his other um, games, Azul, again, another kind of dry puzzle-y kind of game, uh, this one's a bit more complex than Azul. Um, so if you're looking for something a step up, I yeah, it's a, the the price is a bit. That's what I was gonna say. It's a, much it's tough because you say Sansuchi, you say Castles of Burgundy, and and Azul, and you're thinking like forty bucks or less. And this thing is an eight seventy seventy eighty dollars seventy, yeah. and it's there's not seventy dollars worth of components in that box, but you might be able to get seventy dollars worth of gameplay out if you know you've got. A partner or a group that really kind of just likes a little brainy puzzle yeah. so it yeah it's one of those things it's like it's, it's tough to recommend on the price um but i mean if you can play it i highly recommend it like you know but you know 70 bucks is and i uh, we could do a whole another episode on my annoyance with how prices are just trying we to may like need to talk slowly, about slowly <laughs> slowly creep point. up yeah. but quality and components are slowly creeping down um, yeah, you just start to notice, like even in Asmodee's games, like the cards are thinner and the bits are just, yeah, it's, ugh, it's getting bad. People are really trying to squeeze the margins right now as this industry grows. And, you know, while I think the growth is great, I think it's, I think it's starting to impact quality a bit, but we'll see both in components as well as the games themselves. There's just a lot of mediocre crap out there. I, well, right I now. wonder if it's part i don't know i wonder if there's an aspect to it of like since the market is expanding quickly they gotta people, keep up people don't but people don't even know like somebody who's just started playing games doesn't even know what's subpar and what's not yeah and that's and, and they don't even know the price point yeah. too so it's like part of the reason they could probably creep these up a little bit you know without getting into like economic theory is like there's no there's no bias in any way of you know past purchase um so it's like this guy is like, oh, I like I like hobby board games. Let me go see. Oh, they're seventy bucks. All right, I guess I'll get into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he he sees seventy bucks, and now that's his new norm. Um, yeah, there's there's and, no stable. He market thinks a sixty dollar game is a discount. <laughs> yeah, there's no stable market history. Like if you look at a video game these days, I know that there's a lot of price control like internally that goes on because people need to keep at that sixty dollar market. Even though it's a whole thing with video games, but like I know that nowadays. Anything more than sixty is going to look funny, and anything like forty or less looks like a deal. But board games has not had had a long history yet of like I thought we were going to settle in like the big box sixty dollar game thing, but now it's creeping. Like I don't that standard box size I always thought is a sixty dollar game, and, and now, it's tough too because you know, like you said, video games have and video games are so much more well established, but they have you know that. Fifty nine ninety nine is what I expect to see on most AAA, or even a lot of like just bigger indie games, and I'm okay with that price point. But board games have decided that you know we can get into the hundreds, hundred and forty. Like what what is yeah. going on here? And as somebody kind of looking in, if you're new to this hobby, you're like, 
why would I do that? I have to learn the rules. I have to figure out how to play it myself. I have to set it up. I'm just going to stay with video games because I get just as immersive an experience. Um, and I can do pretty much everything that you do in a board game. Well, yeah. and it's interesting not to make this episode like a comparison between the two, but if you look at like the ability for digital discounts versus the price control currently happening within analog gaming, like trying to keep Asmodee putting a stranglehold and trying to keep prices of the secondary market like around 10% less versus video games where they can drop rapidly. They, they seem to fluctuate with the market much more rapidly where if a game tanks, yeah, like you can get Star Wars Battlefront for like 20 bucks right now because uh, that game didn't do well you know like so whereas if a board game does bad you can go into our game store right now and still see them for full price even though they're not selling yeah because they have to yeah like they have to try and squeeze it so it's, it's interesting but anyway so yeah 70 bucks does feel like a lot for this game but it apparently you know if you if you go with the community and the opinion that you just gave like it seems to be a quality product it's, it's a very just, good game it's just pricier than you'd expect it's a very good game i i would i would not pay 70 dollars for it though that this is a this is an online purchase only yeah. yeah um but yes it is a very good game nice well kind of sticking with the uh the high price point did you get a chance to see us play drop mix um and now you guys that was one of the games where like i went to the bathroom and i came back and everyone was in a game and i was like okay so I just went and read a rule book. That's right. You were reading. Um, okay. I didn't know if you had seen it. Saw I mean, I kind of heard it. I've seen it played. Like I've, 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 I've been there for, for plays of it. Yeah. So I, I like that we picked it for most innovative. Like, I think that that was a good pick because that tech is really, really cool. And I really enjoyed the co-op. Uh, that game is boring as crap. Like it, it's not a good game. It's not, a, it's an activity. It's not a game. It's, it's like, just not even like a good activity because. Well, if you like mixing music, it's it's a blast. I agree, like, but like fun. we didn't. When you play the game, it's almost like you get too distracted and don't pay attention. Oh, to that's the what music. I'm saying. Like, you, nah, you just sit there and play it by yourself. Just there needs with to the be cards. just like a sit around and toss cards on there, and that's kind of what the the co op felt like, where you were just you're working together and listening to the music change versus like thinking about strategy in this like really basic kind of silly game. Uh, yeah, no. So drop mix is cool and like as an awesome party tool or toy to have around for like the 40 or 50 that it goes on Amazon. I still support it, but yeah, no hundred bucks. Ugh. No, thank you. I'm, no, I'm glad I got to play it. I can see why Craig has it. Cause he has like Tyler, Tyler's friends come around. He's got family that comes around. Uh, I just, you know, like I don't think it would have any longevity of play in our game group here. So no, I don't think so. That's why I haven't picked it up. Yeah. It is very cool to play with though. I got that genuine card, and it didn't. Pony did not deliver like I expected it to. It was sad. But Pony always delivers. You just didn't do it in the right venue. I don't think I did. Like nobody appreciated it. But yeah, I was really excited. Anywho, that was just something that, like, on the just because it is an expensive game, and, well, I'm, and I'm not sure you wanted a bunch of dudes, you know, feeling horny in the cabin for the weekend. So I mean. I mean, I don't know if any of those guys are going to want to jump on it. You, you know get, what I mean? Like, it's probably not the, it's, get, it's not the right venue. Get ready it's for your next game. It's not the right game. venue. But, no. yeah, outside of that, uh, that was kind of like the, that was like the party game that we played a couple of times. And then I feel like everything else that we played at the cabin was actually fairly chunky for the nope. most part. No, I got, I got roped into a ton of light stuff. Did you? Well, because I... 
Yeah, I did. I made you play Dice I mean, Throne one time. No, but I also played Dice Forge twice. I played Azul like a couple times. Like I played some some lighter fare because you know when Andy showed up, our buddy Andy, who's a little bit more casual. You know, everyone was in a game, and you know he's he's like my little brother, so I didn't want him to, like feel left out. So I said. Steve, let's play some dice. You know, I thought Andy could get, you know, wet his whistle with a little dice forge. Um, the same happened when Mike came the next day. Um, I was in the midst of teaching and about to play Great Western Trail, but Mike showed up. You guys were in Rising Sun, which is like a two, three hour game. And he would have been sitting there by himself. So I, I jumped out of Great Western Trail. I played Azul with him. I played Dice Forge again with him. Um, I played I played a couple of light things. I played Game of Forty Nine. I played I I played a couple of light games. Mm. So, not to say it was bad. I I mean Dice Forge is is just silly fun. It's not the greatest game in the world. It's probably about five turns too short for it to be interesting. Um, but you know it it hits some cylinders on the casual game spectrum. Uh, same with Azul. Azul I like it. It's a good game. Um, I'm not good at it at all. I actually think I'd be better. I keep having to play because it's always with new people. I always play the the prescribed side, and I'd like to try the freeform side at one point because I think my brain would be a little better at that if you kind of like just open it up and I get to like do my own thinking. Um, I feel like the that side is just too restrictive for for the way I want to think in that game. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sad. I sold the game because I don't see myself playing it a lot. But I'll play it if somebody puts it on the table for sure. Um, what is the freeform yeah. side? I don't know that I know what that is. So the back of the player board is basically, you know, on the one side it's got, you know, each color has its own spot in the row. The blues like go diagonal, and like so you can only put those tiles in the specific spot. On the back side, it's blank. And the only rules you have to follow are like the, you can only have one color per row and column. So you can, again, it's a, it's a little harder to visualize, yeah. but you're not restricted and you can start making combos quicker, I think, or I feel like, whereas like sometimes you're a little bit too constrained on the other side and maybe you can't hit those multi-point combos as quickly as you'd want to. And that could just be me. I, I, I really just suck at the front side of that board. Um, and maybe I suck at the game in general, um, but that's fine because I'm good at having a nail, so I'll take it. So what more do you need? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that one clicks for me. The, Azul, I just—it's it, a cool game. It's got that neat little, you know, the draft, which has the timing aspect to it of when you want to take things and trying to get stuck with things. Um, but yeah, I just—I just suck at it. I don't know. Hmm. I'd be interested to try that. I'll have to see. I think Steve bought it. So, yeah, Steve so has it's it. in the game group. I'd like to try it again. It was fun. I think Kel really liked it, but I don't know. You know, we've got lots of games. I would like I, it. Apparently, the secondary I, market on it is crazy right now because it's... Yeah, and I don't get it. Like, I I mean, the production is amazing in that game, but I just... I don't know. I'm not I'm not as blown away by it as other people. It's a, it's a good game. I think it's very good for what it but is. it's not... Yeah. It's not like I'm not like rushing out to spend like eighty bucks on it, kind of thing. Yeah, so. no, well, no, and it's not worth that. That that's that's silly. It's dumb, but people do weird things. You know, you but you sell all kinds of games, Dan, and frequently you say, "Why is this person doing this?" And then you hit accept. So, I mean, oh yeah, 
Oh yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't value is in the eye of the beholder, man. A lot of nerds are dumb. Like I'm not. Like, they just a lot they of want them do not seem to make good financial no, decisions. No, they want what they want, and they'll get it. It's and not a lot of more fiscal responsibility too. in the Kickstarter secondary market. Hey man, it is what it is. Speaking of which, Batman is on Kickstarter. It is, and um, yep, racking my brain on it, but I'm waiting to see the Harry Potter one that comes out in a week or two. Mm. I'll probably have to pick one of them. That's like a minis game, though. It's Harry Potter, though. You like, just buy the models s- and paint them and stick them on your shelf. Um, yeah, I know, but I'm saying, like, from a price point, like, I, I can't afford both of them. Batman starts at 140 plus shipping. Like, <laughs> it's it's not cheap. And I can guarantee, like, Harry Potter is probably going to be around that. Yeah. I mean, those models look really nice. Um, I want to see what gameplay is. Because, obviously, that's that's a game I could maybe rope my wife into. Not to mention, like, it's Harry Potter. Like, If you can I, rope I, Elsa I, into playing a Harry Potter miniatures game, please let me know. Because I would like to do the same with Kel. Well, if you're casting spells and stuff like that, that's fun. I think she would find that fun. But if that casting spell is, like, rolling dice... I think she I think she would find it fun to yeah. be honest with you. That's fair. That's fair. I was just looking at the Fallout miniatures game cuz that pre-order just ended from Modifius. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. They've got cool. They I mean the models look cool, but it is like a, it's a very cut and dry measurement and dice mm-hmm. rolly, which is just hard to get played, so I See I, for me, see for me Fallout is like exploration. Like I I don't I don't need tactical combat for Fallout kind of thing. Yeah, I mean the VATS system is cool. I don't know how. Yeah. I didn't see how they translate that, but yeah. I but guess no, speaking so, yeah. of, I could speak of the Fallout board game if you want to hear about it. If you want to. I mean, it was something that you were vaguely interested in. I was, and now I don't and, think you are. And you guys never called me. I was like, oh man, this is the one, the one, like Amaro turd that you probably could have got me to play without any hesitation. And you guys didn't even call me. <laughs> I mean, it was on a Friday night. It was supposed to be a Thursday. And Scalisi has it. So he's like, so he's not a gamer. He does not. I mean, he plays some video games, but he doesn't play board games. He's never played a modern board game. And he was talking to Astro. Astro's trying to offload some games. Astro told him, like, this game is not good. And <laughs> was like, I'll give it to you for 25 bucks. And Scalisi was like, I'll give you 30. And I was like, this is weird, but okay. So I brokered the deal. We get the game, and then I was like, well, I'm probably going to have to teach this to you, because he asked me if I had read the instructions, and I haven't heard someone say that in a while, which was pretty funny. I know it's just terminology, but like, not a lot of people say, hey, have you read the pamphlet? So I read it up. It's it's an FFG game. I'll tell you that much, Dan. How much do you like... It doesn't have any dials in it, but... Well, that's not an FFG how game. How much do you like someone tiny, else designed it. tiny, tiny cards? <laughs> Um, I don't mind tiny cards, but when they start putting FFG size paragraphs on them, then they get annoying. These ones, actually, these ones aren't, aren't that bad. I mean, they're still FFG style. Like, it's got the Mansions of Madness level of text, probably. Like, some abilities are a little bit... They need to hire, like, a symbologist at FFG, I feel like. A symbolismist? <laughs> yeah. They're just the most verbose company ever. They do have a lot of text on cards. They're very good at it. Uh, but then that creates a lot of like exceptions and questions because the English language is weird. So they do a lot of FAQs over there. Um, this has a, 
Fallout the board game is a, it, it is an exploration game. Like you play to a certain number of points, you get points from co- completing objectives, and uh, it's got a. I want to say it's a little crossroads ish. Um, I actually kind of like how this story panned out more so than a crossroads game. So, I mean, we've talked about Dead of Winter. You don't like Dead of Winter. I get that. But kind of the unique thing it had going for it was the storytelling where you draw the card and if the player trips the condition, then you read the card and you get some story. This has a similar thing where if you take a... a, I forget what it's called, but it's like an interaction. Like, like I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to take an event. Player draws a card and they read what happens. Like, you come upon... A mutant and that mutant says please don't shoot me and then it gives you some options like do you shoot the mutant do you say give me all your money or do you just walk away and you pick what you want to do and then that has a repercussion the cool thing about this game in the storytelling is that like cards start to chain off of each other so certain cards when you take actions will tell you to put other cards into the deck and you shuffle them in what you do is you draw the, the top so many cards and you shuffle them in so the the kind of consequences of your actions are more likely to come up, which is interesting because it tells a narrative story. And if this game does anything well, it's constructing that narrative. Like, you really felt like there was a progression of the story across the game. The problem with the game is the game part, <laughs> particularly in scoring. Like, you, you want to play this game to get to the end of it, the way that you score points is through these cards. You you draw them randomly, you're awarded them randomly, and each card is worth a point, and then on that card there might be another objective that gives you more points. So, like, I've got this card in my hand, it says, this card is worth one point, it's worth two more points if you have this many things, or something like that. Like, so much equipment, or this faction is beating this faction, or something like that. The problem is the density of the deck is really weird, you it's all random you don't it's not even like a choose two and keep one it's just like you get the top card and there are multiples of a few of these cards and so some of them end up being dead cards like i had three cards in my hand that were all the same and none of them worked for me so three of my point scoring cards that i was awarded were dead cards additionally there's a a timer where that's kind of that reminds me of a What's the what's that one Civ game that Smee loves? Clash of uh, Cultures. Clash of Cultures, where you could just end up with a bunch of those like cards in your hand that were points based that were completely off the strategy that you're going. Yeah, for like this, this. And this doesn't even these cards don't even play to a strategy. These cards are practically random because there's no ramp. Like Clash of Cultures, at least you have like a you pick a style of play. This is like sure. I'm just gonna. We're all kind of doing the same stuff. There's no real asymmetry. So there's also this timer where the game can end and everyone can lose at the same time. So the game can win. And that timer advances very quickly. And that timer is triggered by you doing the main objectives. So if I do the main objective, this timer ticks forward. So the people trying to win the game by doing the objectives are actually advancing the universal lose condition. And it's dumb. It is a bad <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> and it sounds pretty bad. That yeah, I just like all of the all of the moving around and the searching and it's very fallouty. Like the theme is great. It's dice rolling for combat, but it's like there's a lot of mitigation and the upgrade system 
where you get like this the special tiles the spe cial like you get those tiles the way that that upgrade system works is really cool but the the end game is just bad it's just and for a game that took us three and a half hours did not feel good to have the game just end and us all lose yeah that sucks that's bad that's a bad game yeah i don't want to play it anymore so cool and i felt bad because like well i kind of felt bad and scalisi's like i really liked it and i'm like you have not played enough games and that is why like but that's i mean that's cool though i mean i mean it is cool so he and i'll play it with him if he wants to play it like he might come over tomorrow and he might want to play it i don't really want to play it but if he wants to play it i'll do whatever i just there are different scenarios and maybe some of the other scenarios are better uh but it that's a pro there's a problem there like and it's glaring everyone experienced it at the same time so it wasn't like one person got stuffed it's like we're all sitting there like hey how do we how do we avoid this thing but we can't so i yeah I don't think Fallout is a strong candidate. I think that it's got great theme. And if you have someone like Scalisi who like has played 300 hours of Fallout and wants to try the board game, they might really dig it. And it's a good narrative experience, but don't play it for a good strategic experience. Cool. Or, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm out too. And if I'm out on it, then you should probably be out on it for sure. Yeah. If we agree on it, then it is true. Yeah, I guess you mentioned Crossroads, so I could I um I had a chance to run through the first story of Stuffed Fables. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um uh, I, <laughs> Mice and Mystics gonna, Light, right? Yeah. I'm gonna start out by saying unless you have a family to play this with, I wouldn't play it. Whose copy did you play? Uh Dan Lakatas. Okay. Um I don't I don't own it. I, I wanted to play it first. Um, well, you I like do Mice have a Mystics. family, so how does this work out? I do, but I don't have a I don't have a of age gamer for this one. There's a lot of reading. And, oh, it is. Like, it's, so it's uh, too high for Tristan, but still for families. Yeah, I think if you had like a six or seven year old, you could probably get them into it. You do all the reading and just kind of work through it with them. It's a very, it's a very light experience. Um, even the story is not even that <laughs> good. Um, it talks about like the girl's bed like because you're like the stuffed animals from this little girl and you like go under her bed and go into this magical world and it's cool like the characters are neat um they kind of play off like the different tropes um you know you've got the elephant which is like your tank i played as this old guy with a pencil that was like this i don't know i guess he was more like a kind of like a rogue because he had like distance shooting um then you've got like they actually they they pretty much mirror the mice from mice and mystics actually you know you got mm. the the guy who's just good at everything the yeah. main character um and then you had the rogue and the you know things like that so it, it had a couple of mechanical things that were interesting um again it it kind of had like a crossroads element where there were these cards where you would read it to the other player and then they would have to choose and what they chose gave you something not that interesting and so yeah, it was cool. Like I said, I <laughs> playing it as adults, I think we were both just kind of looking at each other like, "Nah, we don't we don't need to play this, I guess." Um but I think if you had kids, like they could really get into the story and um I mean if it, I'll take it back. If you're going to play with a group of adults that wants to really get into the narrative storytelling piece of it, if you got if you got a group of 
adults that want to sit around and drink beer and talk about stuffed animals. Cool. I guess that's what you're into. Um, but uh, uh, would, would you say that there are better games for that than like, yeah, even in the same company? Yeah, just play Mice and Mystics, which has yeah. a lot of content for it. Yeah. And this one is, like I said, if you have a family, this I think this is a really good game to sit and play and get your kids into some more kind of strategic type games, tactical games. Um, it's got a neat little dice mechanic in it. So like on your turn, you pull out, I think it was five dice and the different colored dice correspond to an action. So like, but any of the dice could be used to move, but then like red dice were used to melee green dice were used for ranged attack. Um, so like if you're, if you didn't have a melee weapon, you could use the red dice to, you know, move for instance. Um, purple dice could be used as a wild, um, it had a, a neat mechanic. I actually, um, I actually s stole or not stole, but I got like inspired by the mechanic of, um, one of the, the elements for, for my game actually was like when you're, when you're going to fight a baddie, um, you know, you can pick how many dice you want to commit to it. So like he might have five health, so you could roll one dot, one red die or two red dice for a better chance. But again, you only get five dice per turn. So if you wanted to turn around and attack the guy next to you, maybe you rolled one dice on each of them instead. So kind of like almost like being in the corner in ghost stories. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you position yourself there, you have a chance to hit both of those kind of thing. So that that little um, that decision point there. Yeah. So it had a couple of like, like I said, a couple of interesting things. I, I personally didn't find the story all that engaging. I, I really liked Mice and Mystic's story. Um a lot more again i only played one of the seven in the base game box so maybe it gets a little bit better i found it just a bit generic and vanilla um and i think that might work well like again with a with a family of younger gamers where you can really let them kind of explore and ask questions about the story and things like that but for me i you know i'm at that point where you know there's a lot of really good narrative games like i need more from it so yeah um i i I can't recommend it for like seasoned gamers that are playing with, you know, adults, but if you have a family that consists of casual and or young gamers, sure, give it a whirl. How's the how's the production? It's nice. I mean, it's the the board the board and the story are all in that same kind of spiral notebook. Yeah. yeah. Um so you like you flip the page and the, you know, the board is on the left-hand side and all the story points are on the right. That's cool. Um so that's yeah, it's nice. You don't have to flip through multiple like rule books like you did in some other games um to get to the story elements. They're all right there. Again, the the choices you make map to the different elements. Um so yeah, I thought it was uh I thought it was interesting, but I I don't I don't need to play it anymore. Mm. Yeah. Until, again, until maybe Tristan gets a, a little bit older, and then, sure, I might actually put it on the short list. Yeah, that's going to be... Um, six and seven is going to be super cool for you. <laughs> You're going to have so many things to play. Um. Yeah, and the other thing being, like, the stay-at-home dad now is I can, you know, I can expose him a little bit more to, to gaming and just the understanding of taking turns, winning and losing, and things like that. Whereas before I could only really kind of do it on the weekends or when I got home from work. Yeah. And even then it was his bedtime. And so, yeah, I think he's a super smart kid. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but he, he picks up on things really. I mean, we played, Hey, that's my fish. Mm -hmm. Um, before he left for Copenhagen and he, he actually was grasping a lot of the concepts. 
I don't think he, he got a lot of the tactical elements, but you know, he was going after the three fish tiles and he was trying to, while he didn't quite figure out how to block me, he was trying to, mm-hmm. cause he would move and then he'd be like, I blocked you. And I'm like, well, you didn't block me right here, but you did here. So nice. it was really, it was really funny, but, um, yeah, he was, he was good. Good so. for him. I mean, he is super bright. So I, I'm sure you'll be able to get to some of those more advanced games sooner than the box I think, says. But. I think he's in the range now where, so he just turned four, but I think he could handle like five and five and six, maybe closer to the five, but he's definitely, he's definitely out of his Haba games right now. Like I think he's a bit, a bit past some of those Haba games we have for him. So I got to, I got to go up to the next level of Haba game for him. Yeah. Turn-taking and learning how to lose is very important. Those are good developmental skills. <laughs> yeah, and he's good at that. There's a really good... It's I forget what it's called. It's a hamster game. Hamster something from Haba. If you have like a three, four-year-old kid, it's a co-op. The production value is just so engaging and fun for mm-hmm. the kids. Even as, you know, me as an adult, it's what attracted me oh, to Oh, yeah, moving the little like, elevator and things. Yeah, like, like swinging the little pieces. And he loves it. And it's, like I said, it's a co-op it's super simple to pick up on. It, it does counting skills, set collection, like really good. I highly recommend that if anyone has kids in that range. I, it's it's called hamster something. I'm so sorry, I can't remember it. But um, I keep wanting to say hamster hobble. roll, but I don't. That's not it. That's no. a dexterity game. I forget what it's. It's something. Yeah, it's good though. It's a really good little co-op game. Yeah. All right, let's round this out in some fashion. I don't know where to where to end. I think I want to wait and talk about Agra when Tiff is around. Although that was a that was a game. But you should we talk about KDM? Or do you want to say why do you want to talk about that when Tiff's around? <laughs> yeah, we should talk about KDM. That's a good that's a good story, listeners. We are excited to tell that. Um, I know. I'm just saying. Like, but what's what's Tiff's not going to play Agra? No, she was interested in it. Though we can talk. All right, let's talk about no. Agra. We no, 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 no. We can wait again. for Tiff so she can. She can hear both sides of the story because you like it and I don't. So, and we could say that much. I, yeah, nope, can't. You're going to suck me into a conversation. Let's talk about how much you hate Dice Throne. No, that's not a good game either. Dice I, Throne was... I don't know why you think uh, that's a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game, but it's just not. It's not exciting or anything. It's like, number one, I'm, like two-player duel games, not really my thing unless we're going to play like a CCG or an LCG. Like this one was. That's what it's got. It's one, got like that really light this CCG like, feel. Like it's like it, kind of dice masters. Do you want to tell? Do you want me to tell you the one reason I don't like it? Sure. Because I had about three or four turns where I didn't do a single thing, and that to me is bad design. Um, it the Yahtzee mechanic in there. If you don't hit it, and you don't have the cards in your hand, so it's basically the luck of the die and the luck of the draw, and on top of that, if that blends together in the wrong way you literally have nothing to do on your turn but it's such low stakes it doesn't matter like i hate not i hate going through a turn phase and at the end of it i have nothing to show for it you know what i mean like it's 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 it'd be different if i was just if we were just like you know playing like zombie dice or something like that where it's like super quick i do it nope i didn't get it your turn you know what i mean this was draw a card play cards roll dice keep rolling the dice play cards to alter the dice hey you just wasted two cards the dice didn't alter the way you wanted it to you don't have the symbols you need for your character your turn's over your turn and it's like oh 
Really? I would be interested. I think there were probably close to like 10 total games of Dice Throne played across the weekend. I'd be interested to know how many of them had dead turns. Like how many total dead turns out of all dead turn or out of all turns taken. Doesn't matter. You shouldn't have any. There are are dice games all over the place where you don't get to do what you want or can't quite do something. But but this game should have had some sort of fallback mechanism to do. It was just like, ugh. And it just, like I said, it just wasn't that, it wasn't that interesting. Like the powers were not that, like the character I was playing was a bit, a bit wonky. I finally got the hang of it. You played the most difficult character in the box that they said like, this one's hard to manage. At least it was like, and you learned on that character. Um, I couldn't imagine if that's the most interesting character to play. Like, like it's the most complex. The like Kel and I played the barbarian that one time, and basically the barbarian hits and heals, like two things to do. I just, I just don't, I don't see the need for it. It's just not that interesting. Um, I just there's there's other two player games I'd rather spend time on. You know, I just. And it's going gangbusters on Kickstarter, which just baffles me. But yeah, it does have really good art. Kickstarter, it's got half a million dollars. It's being done by Roxley. That's part of it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they. I mean, they've they've got they, they they've hit fanboy status um, as a publisher. So they they've got their core base. And I mean, I, I think people half a million is probably more than their fan base. But no, I mean, not when like Santorini did over what a million something. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, maybe. They've, They've done they've done pretty well, and then Brass did one point six or so too. So both were established properties. I I mean I guess this is too, to be fair. So I don't know. Like the the improvements that they make aesthetically are definitely positive it's changes. A, uh, it's a it's a very good looking game. I like the art style. It it reminds me of almost like Penny Arcade. Yeah, it is very Penny Arcade. Um, the dice were nice quality. Um, I just again I just found the. I just found the gameplay kind of, like I said, it was just random upon random and then your turn. Like it was just like eh. it it is. I'm not gonna deny that. Like it's random card draw mixed with random dice roll. I just I played it three or four times and I just I thought it was okay. Like I, I didn't think it was the best dueling game because I I played I mean two player things plays two player games are kind of my bag. Like I just I've gotten a lot of exposure to them. So I, I recognize that there are better more intense, more depthy, more interesting, more complex two-player games out there. Like, you want to start talking about things like Mage Wars, or you want to talk about even, like, small box games like uh, the... Uh, what's that? Mayfairy oh, Olympus. Fight Olympus, for Olympus of the God. Or fight, yeah, that game's excellent. Yeah, so, like, I, I understand that there are other things out there. But in terms of, like, this is very low stakes, very low weight, it's very fast. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't think that it's a bad game. Is that Olympus one still in print? I want to grab that for Copenhagen. I don't know. I have it if you need to take a copy and I can fish I think out Elsa, it. I think Elsa would get down with that. That game is very good. So, I, yeah, I recognize. And even, like, you know, in the same note of, like, uh, what's, uh, what's the other one The that they just reskinned? It was Hera and Zeus. Any of the two-player games from Mayfair something. you could play, and they're great experiences. Thunder and Lightning is what it's called. Anyway, yeah. um... Yeah, so I recognize that, but I I think that I don't know, like it it got it got a real bad rap at the beginning of the the little cabin con, and like it just went south. Like people were sour on it, and then that started to fester. And I don't know that it was fair. Like I I don't think it was given enough credit, but I don't know. 
Maybe it's just me. But I mean, when you literally when you compare it to everything we played this that that weekend, like that's that's easily the lowest tier of game. Like there was nothing. It was, rem- but uh, it, memorable it's a about game that game. In my mind. Like it, it's a game just to pass some time. Like tomorrow, if again, if Scalisi comes over and we're just trying to like, hey, check this out. Like it would be a game that I would teach him. He's never played a game before. It's very easy. We've all played Yahtzee. You draw a card. You roll some dice. Sure. And he might love it. He might. I think that we sometimes get so entrenched. No, but it's not my style. Like, I'm not... I, I, I try my best when possible to kind of think how maybe the broader market might think with some games. But at the end of the day... I, I, I'm always going to have my bias, so... Well, that's fine. I'm me, not saying that you shouldn't have your bias. Like To me, and for any of the listeners that maybe relate to, to my style and my opinions, you know, like, that's that's kind of what I'm communicating to in this game. I did not find it, like, that interesting. It was just too much out of your control. Um, and, and for a tactical game, it just... It literally, it literally, at times, took the tactics right out of your hands. Like, and it was just like, okay... And I and I'm not and, and my who I was playing against Dan, he had the same thing. It wasn't just me and that character. Like he had turns where he's like, "It's your it's your turn. I can't do anything." I'm like, "Okay, cool." Uh, we even had one back and forth where the entire round neither of us could do anything. It was like, "Okay, your turn again." I'd be interested to see how that develops after across plays, though, as you as you learn to like play towards. I get it, but first impression again. I have no desire to play it again. No, I get that, but I don't want to. I don't want to leave the idea that like this game, like it could have just been bad play. And I'm not saying that you are a bad player. I'm just saying like it could have just been like I don't know how this game works, and I'm trying to do this thing, but really I need to be doing this. (laughs) I don't know how you play that game bad. That's the thing. Like you're literally so dependent on what you draw and what you roll. So, you know, it's, it's literally, that is the tactic. It's like, okay, this is what I have. Can I do anything? Yes. No. Your, your options are limited in that you have cards in your hand up to seven and you have what? Five dice. Yeah. So if those you five cards in your hand, powers that could potentially trigger off different dice but rolls, a, but a lot of them required like, like symbols or like straights and like, it's just, oh, that was the other thing too. I, I thought was kind of annoying but it's it's probably more me than anything was the fact that they had numbers and symbols and you could use either or for different powers that was just that was just one level of data more than this game needed for me um you know trying to look at things and make at a glance snap decisions in such a quick game you know a game that you're supposed to play quickly kind of thing like it was like oh i didn't get these symbols oh but then i would forget that Oh, I guess I could have had a small straight, maybe. I don't know if I did or not, but I didn't look at it. Well, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know... But to be honest, when I looked at it... That could have like, had an impact. But the the thing was, the things I wanted to do weren't... weren't I wasn't able to do. So it's like, I, would, I was always... If, well, even like, if I would have hit that small straight... You want to use your superpower every turn, but you can't no, roll no, the no, Yahtzee no, no, every no, time. That's not even the thing. You like, know? Like, some of those powers were just suboptimal and were just dumb but is, just is doing a suboptimal power better than not doing anything well no no the time i picked up on it immediately i'm just saying it was just one extra thing to think about that i didn't like um for the the weight of the game and no my turns where i had nothing to do were legitimate i had nothing to do turns um so i mean that's cool i mean i'm, I'm glad you like it i mean 
you bought it, so you obviously like it to some degree. So like it's one of those like I have to I, stand by it for now until I play it out. Like I, I gotta I gotta give it more play, especially you got because to. it is But at the same time, you're gonna do that and then you're gonna be like, Dan, how do you sell all your games all the time? And it's like you gotta make these snap decisions in these markets sometimes. Oh well that's game like, that's not a game that's gonna resell, so I'm not worried about that. Like I think it would now while it's on Kickstarter. You gotta think about it. It's man. in stores. It's not I didn't get a Kickstarter copy, I just bought it off the shelf. I, I still like you got to think about it. like it's on people's minds now. This game is going to be long forgotten in about six months. I can guarantee that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. Just I'm saying. not out it to to make money off of it. I'm fine. Just. I'm not trying it. to make money out of it. I'm just saying like if you want to like that. That's how you know I get I get things off the shelf. I'd rather keep playing it and see if I end up liking it than just get rid of it before I give it a chance. Like if it's a game that I'm going to end up liking after ten plays, then. I want to give it its due diligence, you know? Okay. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable play playing it. a game once and making a snap decision. That doesn't jive with me because I don't, I haven't collected enough data to make a decision. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're both smart enough people that we know if we're going to like a game and want to explore it further. I mean, if a, if a game is bro- like fallout, if a game is broken or if a game I don't like, that's one thing. But if I'm wishy-washy, like if I'm in the middle, I need to play more to make a decision. If it's not but an abs- absolute extreme love or I, hate. I guess, but I'm just thinking statistically, statistically, sorry, there's so many games that come out every year, and you know those ones that grab you are the keepers. You know what I mean? I don't want my shelf filled with these ones that I'm wishy-washy on. That's the thing. Like, I think you have to be... Well, I'm wishy-washy because have I haven't to be played decisive. it enough. I guess. You've played it four times. I mean, that, that game doesn't open up a lot. It's got eight characters. There's lots of combinations. Uh, Plus, if you know, like, if if I have fun with it, then who cares what it is? Like, if I am sit down and I have a good time with a friend, then I don't care what the game is. Like, That's fine. That's fair. So there, there might be good times held in there. I don't know. There's no good times in it with you, like, playing you in it. So I need to find to see if that's everybody or not. Like, so far, like, Astro wasn't into it, you're not into it. Like, if nobody wants to play it, then okay, it needs to go. I know Dan wasn't into it. I mean, I know, like, yeah, four of the people that played it weren't into it. But also, a lot of people hadn't played it before, and a lot of people didn't play it correctly. So, I don't know. Again, I'm happy I tried it. I wanted to see what everything was all about. Yeah. I remember they reached out to us for a review copy, and none of us were interested in it at, when we got the, the the request. Yeah. So, I was curious to see what the final product looked like. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it works. I don't know. Dead turns aside. That's cool. I, that that just that irks me more than anything in a game, like a dead turn, because that's just that's not fun for anyone, regardless of the game. Like you know what I mean? Like that's just not fun. That's like player elimination, boring kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but also I accept the fact that if I play, I don't know. I'm not going to get into it because we're we're talking about randomness here. So I accept my fate at times. You know, it's okay. That's cool. Yeah, no, it definitely was like the sound. It just makes me sad. So it's like it's like something like for buying it several times. So it's fine. (laughs) Nobody's criticized you for buying it. I just it was it's your it's your game, man. That's cool. It is your style of game. Like you like the duel, the dice. Like you like that stuff. That's cool. I'm not I'm not faulting you for buying it. I um remember Dice Masters. Remember how good that damn game was. Yeah, they're going (laughs) to a uh, full full constructed format or maybe See, destiny a, there's One of those a dice games. dueling game get rid of this dice throne crap bring dice masters i'll play that with you that game is good dice <laughs> masters or quarriers no dice man, not quarriers <laughs> yeah one of those one of those games is going to i can't remember which one it is destiny or 
One of them is going to all. Um, Destiny's good too. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I that, couldn't get anybody to play Destiny with me. That was my problem. Like no one would play it. I played it the one time with you. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, the I, one time, nobody. Well, that's the thing. Like I didn't. I didn't want to invest in it because yeah. I'm not big into investing in collectible things right now. Dice but, Masters, um, like we had a thing. Like Hubba played that. I had Crescent and it. Like we played a lot of Dice Masters in our time for the that first two sets. But that's what I'm saying. That's a great too example. Big, like too fast. Like, uh, but the the Star Wars like. You don't need dice, Aaron. Just get, get the Star Wars on that game. Well, the problem is that it is collectible. Legit. So people like the the appeal of me for me for Dice Throne is that it's self-contained. No deck building, no dice building. I hand Kella deck and she says, Cool, let's go. As opposed to like, here's your Dice Master's deck, figure out what it does. Ah, oh, but that's the fun of it. Well, it's like, oh, I get to make my team, I get to do well, this. No, 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 it's a dip. And Kel actually did fine with Dice Masters. The Destiny stuff was a little bit harder. That, Like, I like that. She does not like deck building. And you can't... It's hard sure. to get someone into a game when you've deck built for them. Like, trying to teach Steve Netrunner, but I know everything in his deck, is challenging. So, non-collectible games are easier for me to get people into to play. Like, you can just sit down and open it up. Like, That's even a something fair point. like a I was just Kalar deck... Like, I was just saying, oh, Tash is really good. Yeah. I was just saying, like, because we were trying to think of better games. And that, oh, no, I that's agree. Another like, one. <laughs> when I played it, what, the reason why I bought it is because I said, this sounds like Dice Masters, but nobody has to build. Like, and that's the thing. It's like d- the building and the team creation is a barrier, typically, even though it's one of the things that I love, you love. Like, we are collectible. When we play collectible games, like, I think it depends. That's like with like. Ice Masters, it was it was such a recognizable IP that even I think Kel would be like, "Cool, I'll take Spider Man." You know, well, I'll take, yeah, like, like she Iron she did Man. all right with it, and she learned the powers and was able to like do her thing. And the barrier there was the collectability. So that's that's where that game fell apart. But yeah, like I said, one of them is going non collectible, and I can't remember which one it is. But that was interesting. Like, oh, okay, now this becomes self contained, and I like this system. I think what it comes down to it's is probably let's just not play, FFG. <laughs> let's just play. Well, I don't know if Destiny's. I know they just came out with. It might be even because I don't know how much success they're having with Maybe. it. Maybe they're putting out too much. That's they're the doing problem. draft packs now. They're putting out too many like collectible games, and it's like you're splitting your. Yeah. You're splitting your fans. I can't do all the like. I love L five R. That's the one I want to collect. Yeah. I don't have the money or the time to learn and collect. Uh, whatever the dice one's called and you know arkham horror and netrunner and it's like guys at some point you gotta like just slow your roll a bit i have my base set of netrunner cards that are now out of date that i'll just keep i collect arkham horror because that's a co-op game man that game is so good i just played it with steve and he we didn't experience any of the torture of arkham horror lcg because steve hacked everything up with a fire axe he was very good at it Apparently, we Steve drawing out time. of a bag is better than Steve rolling dice, but that's fair. Yeah, I only played it the one time and it was it was fine. I had no problems with it's it. It's very good. It's very good. But anyway, so yeah, I don't know where I was going with all that, but I think that's uh that's some of our places. Is there anything else that's standing out on your mind right now? Um, no. I mean, I I can hold some few. Like I'll hold some more. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, my favorite game I played was over that weekend was Antiquity. Yeah, so. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that or if you wanted to save it. I didn't realize that you liked it so much that you were like, this is the best game I've played all year and bought it. Yeah, I did, actually. After that play, I went... I mean, it's a splatter, and it just got reprinted. I think it was 2006 or something was the original release. 
Um, so, you know, a lot of these splatters that were released in the, the mid to early 2000s were a little bit before my, my hobby gaming um, obsession. So I never really got into them until later. And then when you get into them later, you find that they're like $400 or completely just sold out. So I've been slowly collecting the reprints of them just to give them a try. And um, this was one I'd always wanted to try because I like the theme. Well, so I was going to ask about that. So, like, in, in less than a minute without going too mechanical, like, what is this game? I know it's set in, like, the year, like, 1000-ish, and there's lots of slave graveyards. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's slave graveyards. I think they're workers. I thought Steve had, um, like, slave labor camps. Forced labor forced, was the title. Well, well I think that... <laughs> I mean, I guess if you went that direction, yes. Maybe you did go into the indentured servant world or something. Um yeah, so it takes place in, I don't remember the years, but early Italy, I guess. Um, and you're you're basically just constructing a little city, um, you know, foraging the landscape for resources. And ultimately, what's, what's interesting about this is you basically pick your endgame. Um, so there's five, I guess, patron saints. Um, and there's... Um, when you build a cathedral in your city, so you're building all these little, um, what's the word like patchwork is polyomino, polynomino, polynomial, polynomial or something. Yeah. So you're basically tetrising together this little city with all these buildings. Um, so that's neat in itself. That's a fun little puzzle because um, you have limited space to build your city. So you can only put certain buildings of certain size or, like you were referring, like if you start filling your town up with graves because you're not feeding your workers, then that takes away from spots that you could be putting buildings. So that was an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, so there's a there's a cathedral that you can build in your city. And when you build that in your city, you choose one of the five patron saints. They give you an automatic ability, like a bonus, a permanent bonus. You know, you can build two houses for the cost of one or something like that. And then that is your end game. So everyone at the table could have essentially a different end game or they could be shooting for the same thing. Um, but each one is different. So, and it's your choice. Um, there is a, there is a way in the game that if you find yourself having to switch strategies for whatever reason, um, you can build a building that allows you to, uh, destroy your cathedral and then you can rebuild it and worship another saint. Um, so you could kind of, give yourself that but it's um you know like a splatter it's uh it's not it's unforgiving at points um it's uh it's it's brutal um uh, there's this point in the game it was funny so you're collecting wood um and uh, wood and stone are like the big two resources obviously for building these things in your city uh as well as producing other resources on the board and steve ran out of wood um and he couldn't build a market to trade with the game or other players because you needed a wood to build the market. Um, he was out of, you, he couldn't cut down another forest because you needed a wood to create a woodsman to cut them down. So he was literally stuck and we're just looking at him and he's like, Oh man. And Smee goes and he reads the back of the rule book and like the hints and tricks. And the first bullet is, don't run out of wood. <laughs> so out of the kindness of my heart, I did a three for one trade with him 
um, and gave him a wood and that got him back in the game. Um, nice. and it also gave me three resources that I didn't have access to on my side of the board. So it was, it was win-win and obviously I didn't want him to be out of the game, but you can be out of the game. That's the thing. There is kind of self-inflicted player elimination if you don't do it well enough. Um, so it's now, are there other ways beyond enough. that or is it just the wood thing? Um, I believe if your graves start to, if you fill up too many graves, they start to overrun your buildings. And if you can't activate buildings and do things, then you can't, you can't do anything in the game. Um, cause what happens is essentially you're building these houses. Each house comes with a worker and then you can assign that worker either out on the board to collect resources, or you can assign him every turn to a different building and activate it. So again, if, if you start to, if the graves start to overrun your city, you have to start putting them on the buildings and any graves on the buildings, uh, prohibit you from activating that building. So you have to kind of manage that, um, that piece of it too. But, um, I, <laughs> the, the most fun thing about this game was the resource collection. It was so thematic. You go out, you put your dude on a forest spot. You replace all of the forest spots with a, a clearing, like a field tile, and you put a pollution on it, and then you put a wood resource on it, right? And then every turn, and in the harvest phase, you'll collect one of those resources there, right? But when it's collected, it leaves behind a grass field that's, quote, polluted, right? So if you want to be able to plant in that field, and fields you can plant crops in, you have to clear the pollution, first and then you can plant crops in it so you create your own little ecosystem um mm. and it's just it's a really fun little thing to work out um again it's brutal because there's like you have to be able to feed your people if you don't feed your people then you get graves um and then you got to be able to like you know the thing the thing is too like your position on the board usually gives you access to a, a good number of resources but you know sometimes you're going to have to trade with the market or trade with another player possibly to get something that you might not have access to because um, some of the buildings, when you're trying to build more workers and stuff like that, the cost is different resources, right? So while you might have a great, like, um, you know, sheep production going, if you've gotten to the point where your houses now require you to have two different resources, for instance, you need to have a sheep and a wheat to get that. So you need to have a wheat production somewhere. So you either, again, you either have to trade with the market, plant that wheat or, you know, just trade straight up for it kind of thing. So, um, really cool little game. Um, the rules explanation when Smee was going through it. I mean, the, the rule book is just a wall of text, like literally just a wall of text, some, some diagrams, but it's like, man, a, a graphic designer could have done wonders with this thing. <laughs> um, just to kind of put it in a nicer flow. But uh, and the when Smee was going through it, I didn't I didn't understand a thing. Like it was just like dense. And then when we started playing it, I was like, "Damn, this is this isn't hard." I mean, it's deep, but mechanically, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. Um, which was which was refreshing. And once we got going, I started getting my little resource engine going. I love that kind of stuff. Like I was just I was in my element. I was like, "Let me cut down the trees," and I I won. Um, going with the patron saint that requires you to build all 20 houses. Um, so I went, I went heavy into just resource production and we all were doing different ones, which was cool. So, and I, I, I wound up eking it out in the end. I was like, guys, I'm going to win next turn. And we were like, cool. So we just called it. 
because um, they weren't close to their saints uh, yet. So I really liked it, and I bought it. Uh, I had some credit, um, so I got I got like a hundred dollar game for about forty, uh, which is great because it's probably going to sell out really soon, um, and it'll go up to like whatever. Like my food chain magnet now is worth what like two hundred bucks or something like that. If you want to get it, yeah, something ridiculous. Um, so I, I, I splurged even though I'm leaving and I, I, to be honest, I think I could get Elsa to play this. I might have to introduce her to it. Like you can introduce it without the pollution and without the uh, feeding mechanic just to kind of get the flow. And I think maybe if I did it that way and then get like, I think she, cause she loves collecting resources in games. Um, but the thing is it's like a nine pound box and it's going to really <laughs> tax my luggage weight. <laughs> So, but again, I, yeah, that might I had be that, an extra fee. I had that credit. I wanted to buy it. You know, forty bucks is a steal. Um, and so, um, yeah, I have it now. So, again, when I, you know, it could possibly be sold out next time I'm home to buy it or something like that. So, yeah, or next time I thought about buying it. So while it was fresh in my head, I just grabbed it. Well, um, if you can teach it this weekend, we can play it before you go. But I would, um, I would definitely play it. I have to punch it. It's about 15,000 counters so and it's really hard to get back in the box. Um, I'm hoping somebody does an insert for it. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Well, yeah, that might happen. Yeah. Hopefully sure. I found an Etsy. I found an Etsy page where the guy seems to do like heavy euros. Like he does, he has a food chain magnet. One's really good. He has a colonists one, which I'm like dying to get. Is he selling um, them or is he just showing you how to build? No, them? he's selling them. Um, they're wood. They're like the wood, laser oh, nice. cut and i think he he hinted that he was working on one for antiquity so fingers crossed he does because the thing is a nightmare to get back in the box even trying to put smees back it's just it didn't even fit <laughs> so hmm. nice yeah good it game looked, it looked cool. i mean if you're into if you're into heavy punishing you know deep games uh yeah this is a good one to try um and it's, you know, for something that was designed in, what, 2005, 2006, really holds up. Nice. Yeah, I'll be excited to try it. Well, all right, I think that that's probably a decent place to stop. Talked about a lot of games, talked about a lot of stuff, and uh, we will wrap it up. And hopefully the next episode that we're all on, I don't know when that will be, because you need to get settled. And Yeah, like, I need, I mean, I've got... Handle some I've stuff. Got, I've got a three-bedroom uh, apartment so i do have an office where i will probably set up i i ordered a desk and it's all coming next week so yeah as soon as i can get my stuff set up i'll be good to go um but yeah it'll probably be another week or two yeah so it'll come when it comes basically so uh hopefully tiff will be through concert season i think that's supposed to to end the week that you are listening to this so we should be able to reconvene soon enough and talk some more about some games and uh we've got some fun ideas about <laughs> your travels in copenhagen see if we can generate some things for you to do uh while you're over there so we also uh, are still working it out uh you can get in contact with me if you're interested in it but we we might be doing some discord stuff i still have to like show dan and tiff that and see if we want to do that that way but i figured it might be a fun way to record with some audience like listenership and participation so it may work it may not but that's something that i posted before so i just wanted to mention it uh in case people were wondering what was going on with that we're still kind of like in the 
in the process of working that out and it, it may come to fruition it, it may not but anywho uh if you want to find us other places that do work you can always check nonsensicalgamers.com uh head over to instagram i've kind of hopped back on there and been sharing the load with steve to make sure that we've got some cool photos up there of the games that we're playing and uh you know wherever podcasts are found uh you can check out our our site and our content uh the best place to talk to us directly as always is twitter and uh dan how's that going to impact your twitter life being six hours away um i mean it shouldn't impact it too much if anything i should be able to be on there more often be tweeting all day yeah Yeah. maybe all right yeah live tweet your life man yeah probably not but probably not on the league's twitter but on scandalous underscore nad maybe this yeah. is my cereal. No, I'm not going to do that. I hate people that post <laughs> their food all the time. It's like, come <laughs> on, guys. Uh, so I guess I kind of already gave it away. You can find you at League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Nahad, and hopefully that won't have an impact. Uh, if we do have, well, apparently you've already been in touch with some people, but if we do have any European listeners, I think it would be cool if they reached out to you, to us, to, to give us the lay of the land since we now have, we're now international officially because even i bring culture to this podcast yeah which is good because tiff lives in ohio and i live here so clearly we have nothing but a very narrow perspective yep it's uh it's pretty crazy this will be the third country i've lived in in seven years so i'm uh it's seasoned i'll i'll settle at some point in life maybe live in a a real house and but for now yeah screw it and the alternative for all of our us and north america for for anyone not living in copenhagen is to bother you about playing some online games maybe uh yeah it's it's gonna be a little tough because of the time difference um but there's some asymmetrical turn yeah yeah no no i like yukata is fine on i have pretty much everything on my ipad um and then on weekends i can obviously um either play during the day or whatever so so a yeah. lot of games that work out there with Skype, you'd be surprised, especially if you both have copies. Uh, yeah, well, I won't have many copies with me, so sure. Skype's probably not the best avenue. But Fair enough. I play on any of the other ones. Lots so. of RPGs to be played. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so we already said Twitter. You can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. And uh, yeah, until next time, whenever that time may be. I guess we should say goodbye. Sure. How Toodles. do you say goodbye in Danish? Yeah, I don't know. Something with a lot of consonants. I'm not even going to try. Maybe not. <laughs> Toodles. Toodles.